Welcome to Wadcast. I'm Charlene Gianetti, editor of Woman Around Town. Madonia Bakery on Arthur Avenue in the Bronx is celebrating its 100th anniversary. What a milestone. Not only are those connected with this family-owned business excited, but the bakery's many customers are excited too. Located in the Belmont section, the bakery, of course, serves the community, but fans also travel, in some cases long distances, to stock up on the traditional breads, cookies, biscotti, cannoli, and other treats Madonia continues to produce. The bakery's founder, Mario Madonia, emigrated from Sicily. In 1918, he opened the first Madonia on Adams Place in the Bronx, moving 14 years later to its larger location on Arthur Avenue. In the 1960s, Mario's sons, Pete and Frank, took over running the bakery. In 1982, the third generation, represented by Pete's son Mario, stepped in. Tragedy struck when Mario was killed in a car crash when he was only 38. His brother, Peter, who had earned a master's degree in urban studies at the University of Chicago, was working as a deputy commissioner for the New York Fire Department. Family came first, and Peter left the NYFD to run the bakery. After managing the bakery for six years, Peter took on a partner, Charlie Lalima, who had been working as a baker in Brooklyn. When Charlie came on board, Peter was able to return to work in the public sector, becoming first Mayor Michael Bloomberg's chief of staff and then the chief operating officer of the Rockefeller Foundation. Peter's father, Pete, died last year, So Peter retired from the Rockefeller Foundation and returned to run the bakery. We visited the bakery recently, stocking up on our own favorites and being greeted by Peter himself. He graciously agreed to talk with us about Madonna and what it means to be celebrating, as the Italians say, centani. Peter, thanks so much for being here with us today. Well, it's a pleasure and uh, I'm grateful, thank you. So what are your early memories of the bakery? It's a very funny question. Um, so, you know, we all, like, went there, like, after school or on weekends, whether we liked it or not. And I'm talking about it, like, eight, nine, ten years old. Um, and, and they, you know, you swept the floors. Um, you chopped bread, you know, that was left over at the end of the day to make breadcrumbs. And then they put breadcrumbs, you clean pans. Um, you did all the stuff nobody wanted to do, quite <laughs> frankly. <laughs> and it had nothing to do with actually making bread. But, um, but you know, that's, that's how you got started. <laughs> exactly. Uh, so your, your brother Mario decided to run the family business, but you had other career plans. What, mo- what motivated your desire to work in the public sector? Uh, you know, it's funny. I, was, uh, I, I hadn't thought about that until much later in my life, but... Um, I was trained by Jesuits, right? I went to Jesuit schools for eight years, and there is an under, underpinning to their sort of philosophy and what they teach, which is both uh, be a critical thinker, ask questions, and service is, is um, important, right? Right. Service. Those are the two sort of underpinnings of Jesuit philosophy. And I never realized how much it impacted me, but, you know, you spent eight years with them, and... Uh, I, I guess it had an influence on me that I didn't realize because nobody in my family went into the public service. That was not, you know, we were business people. Um, and um, in fact, in so many ways, you know, a, a lot of people, and especially in small business, say if the government just leaves us alone, we'll be fine. <laughs> right. Um, so it was like, you know, it was a little bit of a balancing act for me. 
what were the challenges you faced when you were working for the New York Fire Department? Um, mostly it was just I was very young. As a, but when I got there, I was I think I was thirty or thirty-one years old. Mm. A pretty senior, very senior position in the department. In fact, one of the senior chiefs who had been there years and years and years was head of the Manhattan, the whole Manhattan Borough Command. Looked at me and said, "I got I have ties older than you." Um, <laughs> oh, boy, that's a quote. True quote. In, in, in the most um, you know uh, respectful and um, you know typical fire department humor way, but you know it's just being young in a in a, uh, a business where people, you know experience really mattered, uh, especially on the line. Uh, now I wasn't a line firefighter; I was in administration, but experience was important um, in, in that business. So that was just being young in a in a uh, in, in that kind of a business. Mm-hmm. Then, then tragedy struck when Mario was killed, and you had to make a decision about whether to come back to run the bakery uh, or to find another way to, to make sure that the bakery went on without you. So, was that a difficult decision? Yes, incredibly yeah. difficult. Yeah. Um, in fact, that, I mean, um, look, Nick Koch called me in his office when I told him I was leaving. He said, "What are you doing?" Mm. You know, you're young. You have a bright career. You're you're, you're talent. Um, and I said, look, I look. Dad, this is this is about family. I can't explain this. I can't explain this to anybody. Quite frankly, yeah. I knew that. You know, it's a small business like that. That's a family business. And now, you know, being there a hundred years, it, it just reinforces everything I thought about then. Um, you have to be there. The family. Somebody from the family has to be there, mm-hmm. and there was there wasn't uh, there wasn't a whole lot of you know op- options, quite frankly. So um, I just knew that it was what I had to do. Mm-hmm. I, it really was. It was just completely intuitive, completely um, um, emotional. Not but not just emotional. It was it was both an emotional and business um, rationale that um, got me to the point where I said, "I this is what I have to do." And then along came Charlie Lalima, uh, handing over your operation, uh, handing over the bakery to someone outside the family must have been a big step. What made you believe that he was the right person to do the job? That is an absolutely fantastic question because the thing that convinced me was philosophically how he approached it. And he came in, he spent time with me, he understood the business well enough to know um, what worked, what didn't work, what this business was capable of. And he, his philosophy was, and he said this to me, he said, I want to come in here. Why would I change a single thing? You guys have been around here 70 years <laughs> at the time, 75 years almost. He said, I wouldn't change a single thing here. What I can do is come in and help um, streamline it a little bit and add to it. Mm. And I will add value here. And that's how um, a partnership could work. And, and philosophically, that made enormous sense to me. And that's when I knew this is the right guy. Right? He's not going to come in here. He doesn't care if he doesn't want his name up there. They don't change anything. You guys have a good thing going. You have a good business. You have a, a reputation. You have a following. So I just want to add to that. I don't want to change a single thing. And that's what he did. Exactly what he did. And that's when I knew he, you know, from a philosophical perspective, this is the right guy. Mm. What a great find, for sure. Yeah. Uh, honestly, I, look, 
you know the jobs I've had. I mean, I was a decision maker from a very early age in my life, and I've made a lot of decisions. That was the single best decision I made. Wow, wow. Well, then after he took over the day-to-day running, uh, you became Michael Mayor Michael Bloomberg's chief of staff. So what was that like transitioning back to a job in the public sector? You know, I had been out of there um, almost, I think, 12 or 13 years. So it was a long time Government, how government work changed. But you know, there's some basic principles in terms of um, the business that I understood deeply. I was well-trained. I had, you know, I worked in the Koch administration. I worked in City Hall for five years in that administration. So I understood City Hall and what the role of the mayor is, what the role of the people around the mayor is. Um, it, was, it took me a little while. It took me, I would say, six months to nine months to sort of get my reacclimated to the business mm-hmm. and the changes that had occurred over 13 years. But it was pretty intuitive for me. Yeah. I was pretty comfortable there. I I was really well trained. Um, And that training is sort of what carried me once I sort of got my feet back on the ground in a very, very different business than I had been in the last 13 years. Are there any highlights from your time in City Hall during that period that stand out? I mean, look, we went through a major transit strike, and I was pretty, you know, on point for, um, you know, sort of day to day. Um, managing best I could the emergency operations out of OEM and uh, went through a blackout, major blackout, and I was right. on point for that. So those kinds of things stand out as memorable to me, yeah. Mm. And I think we went through both those things quite effectively as an administration. Uh, we had a good leader. We you know, had somebody who you know, I knew we could rely on for good decisions. And, um, you know, Mike was a great manager because he was a businessman, right? He knew, like, you have good people around, you let them do their jobs, they'll bring to what they need to bring. Um, and his job was to make a decision or, you know, put the ball over the goal line when you needed it. But he didn't micromanage, and that was, uh, that was great. That was what was great about working for him. Mm. And then you moved to the Rockefeller Foundation as Chief, o- Chief Operating Officer. Uh, did you enjoy your time there? Oh, I loved it. I, I mean, for me, I mean, the only reason I moved was because that was a global business. Mm-hmm. Right? It was a $200 million business that had offices around the world. And I wanted to, I wanted to, I had Pondulus, you know. <laughs> I, wanted to, I wanted to really play globally. And uh, otherwise, I just stayed in City Hall, quite frankly, um, after the first time. Mm-hmm. But um, I really liked the notion of, you know, again, it was a service-oriented business, so that was, uh, again, philosophically consistent with um, what I wanted to do with my life. But um, but it was also global, and that really was the draw for me. Now, your father died last year, and you decided to return to the bakery. Uh, this time around, does it feel different, returning to oh, run the yeah. family business? How so? Well, look. I, the first time I went in, I went in on tragedy. Right, exactly, yeah. This time I came back, I came back um, not because my dad passed away, because Charlie was ran the business quite effectively. You know, I was always around the business. I, I used to go there every weekend. I would, you know, I never gave up ownership or, um, or you know, caring about it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I went back because it was the 100th anniversary. <laughs> and I realized how um, meaningful that is, quite frankly. And, um, I thought it was the right moment for me, both from a personal standpoint, where I was in my life. I had known four great years in City Hall. I had 12 years at Rockefeller. I had known what I wanted to done. 
well, I've done what I wanted to do um, in those businesses. And I just felt it was the right time. Mm-hmm. And a um, hundred years is a big deal. Um, you know, and I learned that at Rockefeller, right? We celebrated our hundred, Rockefeller celebrated its hundredth anniversary in 2013. And I, you know, it was a, a big event for the, that family. Now I'm not comparing us, <laughs> there's a lot of zeros in between, but um, but it, I realized what a big deal making a hundred years is. Um, it's, it's an achievement. Um, there are many businesses that are still in the same family. I can say that. And, uh, I thought it was important to go back for that. Mm-hmm. You haven't totally given up working in the public sector since you run the Belmont Business Improvement District. Uh, what are your goals for the BID? Look, I think it's, uh, it takes a lot to sustain a community of businesses like we have there, and, and we do have a community of businesses that are much like mine. Right? Family, same family owned, been around for a long time. Probably younger businesses in that neighborhood are 70 and 80 years old. Those are the youngsters, right? We're 100. hundred. There's a few of us that are 100, and then the rest of them are 80 and 90 or 70 or 60. That's a big deal. Yeah. To sustain that kind of business community, um, I think you have to have sort of a parent organization that worries about it. Mm. Um, Brands it carefully. Um, and that's what we're trying to do is bring the authenticity of what we have. And I think the bid is the right form to do that, which is why I thought it was the right thing to um, step in there and, and start to um, think about how to do that over the next generation. And I'm not going to be here forever. The title family leadership isn't going to be here forever. There's a bunch of businesses here I'd like to see sustained into another generation, but it takes um, good branding for the next generation to want to do it. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the sort of clearest role of bid is to really um, take our brand, marry it to the authenticity that I think we have as a little Italy, um, and carry that forward so that somebody else wants to um, participate in that going forward behind us. Now, was the pizza festival, which uh, was held this weekend, was that part of... Uh, you know, something that the BID thought up? Yes. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, and um, it's the first annual one, right? Yes, it is, and, and I'll tell you something. I think this is going to be a big deal. Um, I, I was out there yesterday, and today there's twice as many people as yesterday, and it's the first year out of the box. We really didn't promote it um, far and wide, quite mm-hmm. frankly. Mm-hmm. Um, and this thing is going to be a big deal. Bringing pizza makers from around the world from around the country um, and showcasing a little Italy in the Bronx against that, I think it's going to be a, a very big deal in the next couple of years. It's going to be a, a major New York event. Well, one of the things that surprised us walking around uh, were the number of pizza uh, establishments around the country. I mean, you had Las Vegas and Chicago and San Francisco, places in Texas and, and of course, Naples. But then, of course, you had places in New York. You know, it just seemed like such a great idea to bring together all of these uh, chefs from around the country and, and the world. I can see where it could grow and, and be yeah. a, a big attraction. Yeah, uh, so I will simply say thank you for that, because <laughs> I, I agree with you. Um, and that was really what was behind the vision. I was like, look, nobody's put together 
pizza's not just fast food anymore. Exactly. Pizza, the slice of pizza on the corner pizzeria is one thing. There are pizza makers who would take this really seriously and are, you know, it is a food group. It's not just the fast food. And um, and that's what that was the idea behind it. Like, you know, let's let's put them all together in a in a one forum, and uh, people will recognize that um, those who care about making pizza, those who care about the business of making pizza, are doing some interesting stuff with it. And that was what we I think you saw yesterday. Well, I loved seeing some of the chefs rolling out the dough, but also looking at all those ovens. That was fascinating, all the different ways to cook the pizza. I mean, it was it was unbelievable. Uh, you know, Peter, when you were saying, you know, uh, the Bronx is little Arthur Avenue, little Italy, you know, the times we go down to little Italy now, so many of the establishments and restaurants down there have closed. I mean, uh, two of our favorites that we can we think about often. Uh, but, you know, Arthur Avenue seems to have this vibe going. I mean, walking around yesterday when, you know, we visited your bakery and went to the pizza festival, just seeing the enthusiasm on the street and the faces smiling and everything. I mean, it, it was just, it was the place to be yesterday. That's what struck me, even though it started to drizzle a little at the end. Spirits were not dampened. People were still really excited to be there. And I, I was interested in, in some of the press materials that um, you gave me that such a large percentage of people come to your bakery, come to Arthur Avenue, outside of New York City and travel far distances to get their yeah. baked goods or whatever they want to buy there. I mean, I think that's, again, I go back to why I think that it was an important thing to uh, share. It's it, like capturing that authenticity and that brand. Um, we are a regional area, shopping area. We're not a local. I mean, when I grew up, everybody that shopped at the bakery was lived in the neighborhood. It was an Italian ghetto from till the almost 1990, and, and in the best sense of the word, I mean, 95 percent of the people that lived there were Italian, spoke Italian, came from Italy. It is a regional presence now. Our customers, we've done the surveys to know that our customers come from anywhere from 10 to 40 miles away. Their average income is 150 thousand a year. It's a, it, you know, it's a, a whole different milieu now. Right. That's been created, um, and, and and we're trying to maintain the authenticity at the same time that we are serving a very different clientele than we did, um, you know, fifty years ago. Mm-hmm. And, and so that's the to, and that's the opportunity to me. I don't want to call it a challenge because I don't think it's a challenge. I think it's an opportunity. Yeah, well, people want authenticity. People want the real deal, and that's what we're trying to provide. But along with that, I noticed that you've, uh, you know, Charlie and uh, other, and I guess his son, uh, they've added some different things to your offerings there. Uh, is that a way, I mean, you've got the traditional offerings, but, you know, uh, adding some new things which can appeal to other people, younger people, uh, is that a strategy? Yes, absolutely. Mm-hmm. I mean, we've, we've been building on that strategy over the last 20 years, um, you know. I may not have been there day to day, but I, I always was there, you know, talking to Charlie about what are we doing next, what should we do. He, he's the creator, he's the, you know, the, the master baker. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, yeah, no, we were we were um, quite deliberate about we want to expand our product line. Wasn't it? What again? It was. That's why I thought he was the right guy, right? Philosophically, he said, I don't want to change a thing. I want to add. Okay, what do we want to add? 
let's, what do people want? And that's where we really blew out the, the specialty bread line. Mm. We, we probably make 20 specialty breads now. Wow. Everything from chocolate bread to, you know, um, we just we just put a new bread out, um, an everything bread, right? Mm-hmm. Almost like an everything bagel. Wow. But on a, on a baguette. And it's like fantastic. Mm. Off the shelves. So we're constantly looking at, like, what should we be thinking about that's new? We look around, look at who's doing what around the world. We look at who's doing what around the country. Um, you know, we, there's no, um, nothing is proprietary. Uh, you know, if somebody's got a good idea, we're going to try and take it, make it, do it as best we can. And, and, you know, if our customers want it, we'll know very quickly. Mm-hmm. We've tried stuff that didn't work because our client base didn't want it. And then we tried stuff that we never thought would work, and people loved it. So um, you just gotta—we just keep trying new stuff. We're constantly trying to put new product out there. Well, that's great. Yeah. So, Peter, what do you think that your grandfather and your father would think about Madonia Bakery now? Look, my dad was alive up until a year and a half ago, and I know what he, he was so proud. He mm-hmm. really was proud. That um, was nice. He came. Look, he was ninety. He was still coming down for it. He just. A, enjoy it amazing um, yeah um, I think um, I think my grandmother would be shocked if that <laughs> thing is still around number one I just did a ceremony out in uh, Ellis Island with my family we put his name and my grandmother's name up on the wall and, um, and it really is the story of an evolution of a family of a business um, the business is reflecting the product evolution the people evolution so um, I think he'd be, um, he'd be quite proud. Yeah, you know, the guy got on the boat at 11 years old, came over here with a, you know, a dollar in the dream, basically. You know? And, uh, you know, we're here 100 years later still talking about it in, you know, glowing terms. Um, I think he'd be quite proud. Yeah, I'm sure he would be. Well, Peter, thank you so much for spending time with us today. Uh, wonderful, wonderful bakery. I'm taking some of our stuff back to uh, Virginia when we leave tomorrow, and we'll be back on our next visit to New York. So well, thank it. you I very hope much. See you again, and uh, thank you so much. Okay, Peter. Bye bye now. Bye.